You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Holy Spirit, would you continue to be among us? We know that you already are, that you gather when your people gather, you gather in our midst. Would you, would you make that real for us in this moment? Speaking a fresh word to us as we open an ancient story. Help us to hear, to receive, to be nourished by this word. We give you thanks and praise for the ways that you're going to work in our life, the way that you have been, and the way that you will today. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Receiving the word, if you want to read with some scriptures with me in the book, please feel free to pull it out. It'll also be on the screen. Yesterday was the Feast of Epiphany in the Christian calendar. That's when the three kings, the three wise men, the three magi show up in the church calendar. And so we're reading that story. I know you want to put Christmas behind you. We're not done yet. We still got a hair's breadth of this left. Today, around the world, churches are reading this story, and I thought we would read it today, too, as part of our covenant-making situation. So I'm going to page 733. It does not have that number on there, um, so you kind of got to go 734 and back up. But we are reading about the Magi who come to visit Jesus. Only in the Gospel of Matthew do the Magi come. In Luke, it's the shepherds. And we are starting in 2, and we are starting in verse 1 of 2, the coming of the Magi. And it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that's what you get. That's the birth scene of Matthew. That's it. After he was born. It's not even like, and he was born. It was like, after he, it, Matthew's getting the story going. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the territory of Judea, during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. And they asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? What you need to know is that Herod called himself the king of the Jews. He was only half Jewish. He was really Edomaean, but he was building a lot of buildings for the Jews. And so they let him be king. Rome kind of put him in charge, but he called himself the king of the Jews. And these Magi from the east, these strangers, these non-Jews show up and they say... Where is, the, where is, they asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. That word honor is proskuneo, worship. We've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, of course. King Herod, if you don't know, was a violent king. Murdered his own sons, murdered his own brothers. He's troubled. He's getting ready to murder a couple thousand kids because this newborn king of the Jews was born. Violent king. And here Matthew gives you a little kind of understated joke. He was a little bit troubled. Not only Herod, but everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. Jerusalem, the capital city of this country. So Herod gathers all the chief priests and legal experts, all the religious people who know everything about scriptures, and he asks them, where is the Christ, the Messiah, supposed to be born? And they know the answer. In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what is written in the prophet Malachi. 
you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi, because remember, everybody was troubled, and he found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. I heard three people flip a page with me. Nothing makes my heart happier. Thank you, those three. He sent them, uh, Herod sent the Magi to Bethlehem saying, go and search carefully for the child. And when you found him, report it back to me so that I too may go worship him or honor him. When they heard the king, they went and look, I love this. And look, if you weren't aware of where to place your emphasis and look, the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them and stopped. It stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And they entered the house and they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell to their knees and they proskuneoed him. They worshipped him. They honored him. Then they opened their treasure chest and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route, God gave them wisdom. Don't go back to Herod. Here is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's do a little bit of a game show just to clarify what the text says because we want to base our life on the standard of the Bible, right? We want to stand on the standard of the Bible and not based on what we've heard. And so here's some questions for us. Hopefully you can figure out the theme were the three wise men's kings? We don't know. That's the theme. I'm just going to straight up tell you. <laughs> Doesn't say that. We sometimes call them three kings. Doesn't say that. The word is magoi. It comes from the singular word magus, which is the word we get magic. These are like magicians. In that time, though, they were wise court prophets. They were astrologers. They sought wisdom from all different places and spaces. Never says kings, just to clarify what the text says. Were the three wise men men? We don't know. In that time and in many cultures today, and sometimes even in our culture, when there was mixed company, if there was a couple men, and then it could be two men and like 50 women, the word would just be men. Um, and so we, it says men, and it says there's more than one of them, but we don't know if they were men. It doesn't say. Were, uh, were, uh, some were men, but no way to tell if they were all were. We know at least some of them were. Were the three wise men three in number? We have no idea. It doesn't say. There were three gifts, and so people assume that there were three people, but in the eastern part of Christianity, they say there were 12 of them. It's a total guess. People make up all kinds of numbers. So just to kind of flush this out for you, uh, were the th where were they from? We don't know. The text says from the east, but the text also gets confusing, right? We saw his star in the east. Doesn't that mean you came from the west? If you saw a star in the east, that's, that's east. So they, they were from that way and they saw the star over there, maybe. 
the phrase is in te anatole. It means uh, the rising. Usually it means the rising of the sun, which does usually mean east. They are from the east. They saw maybe historic. We don't know where they're from. Some people say Persia, which is now modern day Iran. There's all kinds of stories about them coming from Ethiopia or, or maybe from India. We got all kinds of stories. No idea. Couldn't tell you. Two of the three gifts are from Arabia, which is modern day Ethiopia and Somalia, but they could have been traded. Let me, there's a lot of information I can give you, but the ultimate answer is I have no idea. We don't know, okay? Stop asking me. I'm, I'm asking you. Were their names Melchior, Balthazar, and Caspar? They have no idea. Somebody made that up in the 500s. It was in this thing called the Liber, Libertine Romana, and then, and then the Irish kind of spread it in the 800s. Uh, what Greeks, Romans, Irish, we have no idea. Uh, were they there on the day of Jesus' birth? I had no idea. Could be. Could not be. Uh, this is what the passage says after we read. Herod sends soldiers to kill all the children in Bethlehem and in all the surrounding territory who were two years old and younger. It could be the day Jesus was born, and maybe Herod's just covering his bases, or Jesus could be anywhere up to two years old. We have no idea. So when you have your little manger scene like we did right here, it might not be biblically accurate with the, when the Magi are there. It might be. I don't know, okay? Stop badgering me about it. What it that's what I want to get to. This is today. What's, so then what's the point? Like, what is Matthew trying to do with these magi, and what is God trying to teach us through this story? I mean, if I could boil it down, these are non-Jews who have come to the Jewish capital, and the the Jewish religious leaders and political leaders have no idea what's going on. They are so far from God, they don't see anything other than themselves wanting to stay in power. And so this is the first time that God kind of invites some non-Jewish participants to kind of foreshadow that we all get to be included in what Jesus is doing. That's the point. But let's bust out our three points. You know how we do. Head, heart, hands. Something for us to know, feel, do. What is the information? What is the experience or transformation language? What are we supposed to do with this? Here's what hit me this year as we went through this. What God wants us to know is that Jesus is the findable God. That God isn't hiding. This is what epiphany is about. That God is revealing God's self in a way like never before, and God is findable. God is not hiding. It is not darkness. Jesus makes God visible to us. We can stop searching in the darkness. God is present. Here's where I'm taking that from this passage. And look, the star, and look, and look, the star stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced, and they entered the house, and they found a child. These astrologers no longer have to study the stars to figure out what God is up to. They find a child, and they worship him. The star stops. No longer do they have to get into looking for information in secret places. God has revealed himself in this child. These wise men searched for wisdom everywhere, and the wisdom, the star, leads them to Christ. I have a lot of degrees. Am I boasting? A little bit. <laughs> High school, 
Butte, I mean, Chico State master's degree. I got some other degrees in there. They're hiding. I have some small degrees in philosophy. I have sociology. I got theology. I got general high school. You Listen, I got all kinds of stuff. And what I have come to is the same thing that the wise men have come to. This is the most important set of truth and wisdom that we could ever read or devote our life to studying. This is what I think God is speaking to us about in that season of epiphany using the story of the wise men. These were wise men, and they ultimately find the answer to their questions in the Christ child. This is what God wants you to know. God is findable now because Jesus reveals God to us. I think of this passage from 1 Corinthians. Hasn't God made the wisdom of the world foolish? In God's wisdom, the determined, uh, he determined that the world wouldn't come to know him through the world's wisdom. Instead, God has pl- was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. Jews ask for miracles. Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is a scandal to both the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. That's everybody. Jews and Gentiles encompasses everyone in the world. Jesus is foolishness to them, but to those who are called, which is everybody, Christ is God's power and Christ is God's wisdom. If you want to know what God is up to, we look to Jesus. Jesus is the findable God. This was always a promise of God in the Old Testament that you will search for me and you will find me and Jesus makes that promise come true. Epiphany is, is about Christ being made known to the world as promised. Oh, I quoted my passage ahead of time. Jeremiah 29, when you call me and come to pray to me, I will listen to you. And when you search for me, yes, search for me with all of your heart, you will find me. I will be present to you, declares the Lord. This is what Jesus does. This is what the wise men teach us. All the wisdom of the world, we find God's most wisdom, mostly revealed in Jesus. And yet, the bad news, you can miss it. You can miss it so obviously. All of God's prophets are in God's capital city with God's temple, who they believe God lived in the building that was right over there under God's anointed king who was supposed to be the king of the Jews. And all of those people missed it. All of them. That should scare you. That should make you a little nervous. Sometimes we think we can be in the middle of God's presence and we can't miss it too. So not only do the wise men teach us the information is that God is findable, but also the wise men show us in contrast to God's prophets and God's political leaders that we can also miss it. Right in front of our face, we have no idea. We have no idea. Don't miss it. And part of the way we don't miss it, there's lots of ways, part of it is Make Christ your wisdom. Make Christ uh, that full revelation of who God is to you. That's what we are doing. That's what the wise men teach us. What's the experience then out of this? There's lots of uh, emotional language in this passage. Troubled is part of it. Joy when they see the star and the child. Joy. But I think the, the experience at the center of this passage is worship. 
And so I think what God wants you to experience and know and experience, I know I said that twice, is that the true God will be truly worshipped. Even if you miss it, God gets worshipped. The true God will all, even if it's strangers from a million miles away that walked there because they saw some signs in the stars, God will be worshipped. Even if God's people miss it. And what God wants you to experience is a life of worship so that it makes sure that you stay connected to God, that findable God. Here's where I see worship in this passage. Uh, They show up and they have one mission. We saw a star. Where's the newborn king of the Jews? We've come to honor him. Again, proskuneo. We've come to worship him, to pay our reverence, our respect, our awe. They enter the house after they follow the star and they fall to their knees and they proskuneo, the word we get, you know, when we, we lay prostrate. Uh, we lay before God in worship. They worship him. That's the whole point. We've come to worship him, to honor him, to respect him, to revere him, to be in awe of him. And when they find him, they do just that. Again, honored this word worshipped. I think this is what God is teaching us in this passage. The experience that he wants us to have is a life of worship. Though the religious and political leaders miss it, Christ is still worshipped. Christ is still worshipped. It reminds me of this passage when Jesus is on the donkey heading into Jerusalem near the end of his life. And all of the people surround him and they lay the palm leaves down and they lay their clothes down and they cry out, blessed, Hosanna, this is the son of David. It says some of the Pharisees, right, the religious leaders from the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, scold your disciples and tell them to stop. And this line Jesus says is so hauntingly beautiful to me. I think about it regularly. He says, I tell you, if they were silent, the stones would cry out. The true God will be truly worshipped. Your decision in this is, are you on team worship the right thing or team worship the wrong thing? Are you on team missing it or on team I totally am right where I need to be in God's presence in a posture of submission, reception, awe, reverence? This is the experience that God desires for us in the coming year, in this year, today. This is how we stay connected to the true God, is through true worship. What God wants us to know in this passage and feel in this passage is that creation worships its creator. It can't help it. It's core to who we are. The experience that God wants for you to have is regular worship adoration, honor, reverence, submission, surrender, not just on Sundays, regularly, daily, through reading our scriptures, through praying, through singing our own songs at the top of our lungs in the car or in the shower, right? This is way, not just singing, though. there's lots of ways we can worship, but God desires for us a heart of worship. What do we do then? What's the do language in this? What is the action language in this? For me, it's this. We have to embrace the other root, What do I mean by that? Here's what I see in this passage. Herod sends the Magi to Bethlehem saying, go find him, bring, come back to me. I want to honor him too. He doesn't. He wants to kill him to protect his own power. And they find him. 
And the, the end of this story says, because the Magi were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. And I think some of the wisdom here and some of the action language here is that once you encounter the real Christ, you can't go home the same way. It's impossible. You've met the precipice of history. You've met the most important figure all of the universe. You've met God in flesh. You can't. You can't be the same after that. We see that in a small way with these magi. They go home by another route. You can't go home the same way after you encounter Christ. And my encouragement to you is embrace it. Embrace that path where you meet Christ so you can stay on the path with Christ. It's the path of life. Jesus tells us this later, a few chapters later on the Sermon of the Mount. He says there's two paths. There's the narrow one and there's the broad one. And the broad one is wide and a lot of people go down and it leads to destruction. But the gate that leads to life is narrow and the road is difficult. So few people find it. Jesus says there's two paths. Embrace the other route, the route that encounters Christ and follows Christ and stays with Christ. It's going to be weird. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. They just disobeyed the, the, the political leader of this whole capital city, and yet they are following the route that has been where they experienced Jesus. And it has changed their life. Because that path, that route, gives them life. I've been seeing these commercials for Instacart. First of all, I don't know if it's because I'm old, but I just have no desire to be a part of this. They're like, do you want groceries? Pay double what groceries are and we'll deliver them to your house. And I'm like, brother, what? I'll just go to the store. I can barely afford the groceries I'm getting. But they have a slogan, and you know how I hate slogans in commercials. 30 seconds, take a listen. Here we go. See how breezy her life is with this? This is what I'm taking issue with. Add life to the cart? This is a few years ago when Walmart was like, get more Christmas at Walmart. And you're like, hold on a second. These things aren't commodifiable. You can't buy this. She's just breezing through her kitchen, catching her toast. Have you ever had a toaster that flipped toast like that? It feels like it'd be a nightmare. No, thank you. Just breathing through, ordering stuff. Son takes the soda out of his hand. Push that kid. Don't touch my soda. Ask nicely. I don't care if you've got scuba gear on or not. You can't buy life. You can't buy more Christmas. They're trying to sell you stuff. I mean, this is like, this is Herod. This is the world. This is the world's wisdom. If you could just make your life easier and more convenient and more comfortable, you'll have more life. And that's not what Jesus says. It's difficult. It's narrow. Lots of people don't find it. But it leads to life. 
It's not about comfort and convenience and breezing your way through. Do you want life or not? It's not Instacart or whatever. If you use it, that's, do Listen, it's all tools. I got stuff that makes my life easier, but I just hate it when they like, try to trick you into handing over your trust, your salvation, your hope for more life by purchasing things. It's just such a, a, a path, a broadness that leads to death. Jesus' path is narrow and difficult and hard to find, and the Magi found it. And they go home by another route, and I think there's something there. That's, that's Herod. That's death, right? That's, life is found in following Christ on his path. The, the action language for us is to embrace it. It's hard. It's different. It's awkward. It's going to make us not fit in. Embrace it. It's the only path that leads to life. Conclusion for us. Uh, because of Christ, God is Findable. Jesus is the fullest revelation of who God is ever given to us. God in the flesh, the Son, the second person of the Trinity. The true God will be truly worshiped. And God desires for you to be on the side of true worship. That is the experience that God wants for us for this day and this coming year. And once we encounter Christ, we cannot. Go back the way we came. You have a decision point to either reject Christ or stay with Christ. And the passage today is encouraging you to live the experience of Jesus that you have and to stay on that path that is narrow and hard. I'm getting lots of questions and I can't wait to answer those, but we have, we, uh, we're short on time. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Boo! I'm staying on my path, y'all. Would you, uh, would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for this story, for this epiphany, for this revelation, for, for you revealing yourself not only to a specific people in a specific place, but this story shows that you reveal yourself to the whole world, that you desire that all would come to a saving knowledge of you, that you are not, that you are not in the darkness that we don't have to go through a million years of school and education to try to get a glimpse of you, but that we can be so close to you, Father, because of what Christ has done, because of who Christ is, because of what Christ has showed us. Help us. Help us to make Jesus our wisdom, the child in the manger among the animals, the nobody from nowhere, Help that to be our wisdom about who you are and what you're up to. And may we experience a life of worship in that wisdom and a dedicated life of discipleship on your path following your son's way. We give you all praise and thanks. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have communion as normal, but we have the longer liturgy that has the invitation and the confession It's a little bit deeper of what we normally do. And so here we go. The confession, where we collectively confess our shortcomings, our sins, our failures, frailties, and brokennesses. We are those who seek to live as true disciples of Jesus Christ, but sometimes we fall short 
let us now examine ourselves before God, humbly confessing our sins and submitting our hearts so that we do not deceive ourselves and cut ourselves away from God. Let us pray all together. Father God, you have set forth the way of life through your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you love dearly. We shamefully confess that we have been slow to learn of him and have been reluctant to follow him. You have spoken and called to us, but we have not listened. You have revealed your beauty to us, but we have been blind. You have stretched out your hands to us through our friends, but we have passed them by. We have accepted your gifts and offered little thanks. We are unworthy of your unchanging love. We now confess to you our sins. Please forgive us for the poverty of our worship, for the selfishness of our prayers, for our inconsistency and unbelief, for the ways we neglect fellowship in your grace, for our hesitation to tell others about Jesus, or the ways that we deceive others. Forgive us for when we waste time and when we misuse the gifts you have given us. Forgive us for when we have made excuses for the wrong things that we have done and when we have purposefully avoided responsibility. Forgive us that we have been unwilling to overcome evil with good and that we have not been ready to carry our cross. Forgive us that we have not allowed your love to work through us to help others and that we have not made their suffering our own. Forgive us for those times when instead of working for unity, we've made it hard for others to live with us because of our lack of forgiveness and our inconsiderate judgment and quick criticism. Forgive us for when we have not tried to reconcile with others and when we have been slow to seek redemption. Forgive us also for these sins that we now silently confess. I'll give you 10, 15 seconds. Here are our words of assurance after confession. God, the Father of all mercies, is faithful to cleanse us from our sins and restore us to Christ's image. Praise and glory be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Here is your invitation to communion this morning. You who are truly and earnestly, who who repent of your sins, who live in love and peace with your neighbors and who intend to lead a new life following the commandments of God and walking in his holy ways. Draw near with faith and take this holy sacrament to your comfort and humbly kneeling, make your honest confession to Almighty God. Let us pray. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all people, we confess that we have sinned and we are deeply grieved as we remember the wickedness of our past lives. We have sinned against you, your holiness and your love, and we deserve only your indignation and your anger. We sincerely repent and we are genuinely sorry for all wrongdoing and every failure to do the things we should. And our hearts are grieved and we acknowledge that we are hopeless without your grace. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Forgive us, cleanse us, give us strength to serve and please you in newness of life and to honor and praise your name through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 
on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, and I'm asking you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness and reject the evil powers of this world and repent of your sin? Pop quiz. You passed. First question. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve your, him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? According to the grace given to you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church, the church, Big C, and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? Let us join together in professing the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. Do you believe in God the Father? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And do you believe in Jesus Christ? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. My number one question is about Catholic. It means universal, not not those other guys over there, whom we love dearly, brothers and sisters. You didn't just pledge allegiance to their church, to the church universal. Almighty God, would you pray with me? Our heavenly Father, who gave in love your only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, who by his sacrifice offered once and for all, did provide a full, perfect, and sufficient atonement for the sins of the whole world. We come now to your table in obedience to your Son, Jesus Christ, who in his holy gospel commanded us to continue a perpetual memory of his precious death until he comes again. Hear us, O merciful Father, we humbly ask and grant that we, receiving the bread and this cup as he commanded and in memory of his passion and death, may partake of his most blessed body and blood. Would you say the Lord's Prayer with me? I'm going to invite the praise team forward as we do that. One, two, three. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.